Hey there, welcome into another episode of Great Quarter Guys, the show where the lines between freight, finance, and tech are none. I'm your host, Andrew Cox, Senior Retail Analyst here at Freight Waves. This is episode 77. I am alongside lead economist Anthony Smith. For the first few minutes of the show, we actually got a very special show for you today. We have a bunch of guests. We're going to have CEO and founder of Freight Waves, Craig Fuller, on in the middle of the show to talk about the Night Swift acquisition of AAA Cooper. They are getting into the LTL business. This is the biggest carrier, uh, truckload carrier in the country, getting into the LTL business. So a very big deal, over a billion dollars in this acquisition. We're going to get Craig's thoughts. Uh, he likes the acquisition, and we're going to see why he believes that not other carriers are going to follow in, 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 the, in Night Swift's footsteps. So that'll be very exciting coming up at the 310. But before that, we've got Rick Helfenbein, who is a veteran of the Great Quarter Guys show. He's been on with, with us a few times. He is the former CEO and president of the American uh, Apparel and Footwear Association. He's also a retail, and, uh, retail industry consultant in New York City. And we are talking about Bangladesh. Bangladesh is one of the um, you know one of the major manufacturers of American apparel and world apparel really, and they're having a terrible COVID outbreak right now, the, the most severe that they've had since the pandemic began. They just implemented a very severe, strict lockdown last Thursday, where the, a nation of 170 million people were ordered to stay at home for a week. Rick, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, it's great to, great to be with you guys. I, I'm sorry, I seem to pop up every time there's a uh, there's a problem, which there's been no shortage of uh, recently. The, the Bangladesh uh, situation is particularly serious, obviously, for the, the people of Bangladesh. As you said, Andrew, 170 million people, but only 5 million are vaccinated. And, you know, the last time they shut down, they shut down for months. So this time... Uh, you have two things going against it. One, it's not the alpha version uh, of COVID, it's the delta version, which is more contagious. So they were going to shut down for a week. Uh, yesterday, I think they extended it for a second week. Uh, in terms of our industry, the factories remain open. The ports remain open. You know, but can people get there to work? And, and you know, and that's kind of the problem in a nutshell. And, you know, and then you, you would ask me, well, how important is Bangladesh, uh, you know, in terms of holiday shopping or in terms of retail in the United States? Well, as everybody knows, uh, we've been having a fair share of issues uh, with China. And China is 37% of the U.S. market in terms of imports, in terms of apparel. Uh, Vietnam is number two at 16%, and Bangladesh is number three at 8%. So there you go. You've got 61% of the market tied up in three countries, and Bangladesh is a growing and important player. So yeah, then, Rick, I, Oh, sorry. I was just going to ask you. I had seen that um, throughout the pandemic, at least, Bangladesh had actually... Had, grown, actually gained some market share from China in the apparel market. Um, and that was in part due to the resilience of their industries, the resilience of their importers. You told me that uh, the factories are still open and the, 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 the ports are still open. Can you just talk to me about the situation there? Because you look, at, you look at Wall Street Journal and they'll tell you that it seems that the whole country shut down. So it just seems like differing um, narratives here. So what, what is it like in Bangladesh right now, at least from your perspective, your, your channel checks that you've had? Yeah, from what I'm hearing, were operating, but they, you know, it, it, they, the stool's got like three legs, but they are sitting on it. Um, it. It's just problematic. Things have slowed down, and it's a time of year where you actually want to speed things up. Uh, the port, port in 
Chittagong has uh, delays that are unrelated to COVID or partially related to COVID. There's container shortages. Uh, on some of the short haul carriers, there's backup. They can't get the containers back. So maybe the factories can continue making the product. Maybe they'll get that up reasonably up to speed, but then can you ship it out? And, and then uh, Andrew, and I, I assume Anthony would, would, would be part of this. You know, what happens to the economy of the United States? When do you ship goods? Normally, holiday, our biggest season of the year, which we're planning on being up, say, 6 or 7% this year as the, you know, the big comeback in retail. Um, when do we ship goods? Well, we ship goods you, in the old days to arrive like the 1st of October. You don't want to push it too soon. You don't want to push it too late. But because of the delays, everyone's looking for September. So when do you pack up a container uh, from Bangladesh to get in there in September, like now? So um, there's some concern, and I can understand why Wall Street would be concerned. It could uh, rattle a few cages. It's too early, and I want to emphasize it's too early in the process uh, to say there's a problem. But you know, everybody should be aware there have been many problems, and this could you know, just be another one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly not one thing here that's holding back the industry. I, d- I wanted to mention this quote from Brooks running CEO Jim Weber. He was on CNBC's Squawk Box on last Tuesday, and he said his company is running on roughly an 80-day cycle for shipping, uh, for shipping compared to what used to just take 40 days. Is that widespread uh, across the board? Are you seeing, you know, you, you, the the people that you work with, are they seeing delays of that that kind of nature double the the normal shipping time? Yeah, not necessarily double, but. I mean, some people have moved some goods to air. There's been a lot more strategic planning. Everybody set up war rooms on freight. I mean, when have you had a war room on freight? So, uh, you know, the the concerns are there. People have bumped it up. And if you ship, you know, Andrew, if you get that ugly uh, Christmas sweater the day after Christmas, not as valuable as it was before. Same thing with Easter bonnets. Same thing with golf shirts for Father's Day. So, uh, you know, you try and time the market, you think it's going to be good, you put a lot of emphasis into buying product to make the numbers for holiday, and, you know, you, you got to pay that with shipping. So people have moved the dates up. The guy from Brooks is totally on target. So, Rick, one of the things I'm, I'm curious about when we're looking at all of these movements right now in the supply chain, I mean, of course, production's one part of it, the backlogs is one part. What are your anticipations with new orders still kind of coming in and, and pushing through on this side of the economy, on this side of the industry, as we're still seeing that there's such a backlog that we're struggling right now with inventories? What do you see on the new order side just kind of throwing another wrench in this entire equation? Well, it's, it's a really good question. It's a little more complicated because new orders are coming in people are trying to get back on their feet they're able to get financing which was a problem a year ago so they got the money they want to buy the goods they're balancing how they purchase more trying to move more from china frankly into Bangladesh. not for the reason that's apparent a lot of it has to do with the situation in Xinjiang and the concern that you know of cotton so they want to get different cotton, they want to put it in Bangladesh, they want to make sure they don't get held up at the border coming in for being, uh, you know, suspect of a product from Xinjiang. So there's a lot of dynamics going on all at the same time. And, 
we will uh, we will soon see how this plays out. So, Rick, you said it's a little too early to call it a problem. Um, at what point would you consider it a problem? Like, if we see this continuing for, if the Bangladesh has another, you know, two, three month type of lockdown, is that, you know, at what point will you start to get really worried about the Christmas holiday season? If if we go past three weeks in the lockdown, I think uh, alarm bells start to ring. Um, two weeks we can probably manage. Three weeks, I don't know that we can. But we'll see. Time will tell. And. All your, all your freight guys that are watching this, we kind of need your help right now. America's uh, counting on it. Yeah, certainly so. All right, Rick, thanks so much for your time today. We'll be seeing more of you shortly. Hopefully next time we, we, talk, we talk about a good thing happening, you do seem always to come on in, in a little crisis management mode. Yeah, well, I look forward to that. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Appreciate it. You're welcome, sir. Have a good one. All right. Uh, so let's do let's do some charts of the day. We we each have a couple here. Um, one on uh, one on consumer spending, another on just a truckload capacity. So let's go ahead and go through the truckload capacity. And this is this is a good transition to the, the segment that will come after when we have Craig Fuller to discuss uh, this Knight Swift acquisition of AAA Cooper. I gotta say, I, I kind of stole this chart of the day from Craig's Twitter because it, uh, it it opened up a good conversation that I want to speak to. So uh, this first chart of the day is the the four hire total count of tractors that we have from the FMCSA. Basically, the Craig was speaking on the narrative of a driver shortage and how it doesn't you know aptly describe the problem in the market right now. Uh, that carriers are adding capacity. You know, we, capacity is up 2.6 percent year to date, but tender volume is up 13 percent year-to-date. We simply have demand growth outstripping supply growth. And there's a couple things that are at play here. And one that I wanted to mention is, is that I'm not here to pontificate upon um, immigration policy, but it's certainly having an impact. So if you look at some of the immigration data, so 100, only 130,000 non-citizens obtained lawful permanent resident in Q4. That's down 78% year-over-year from uh, fiscal year 2019. 17% of all drivers are Hispanic. 15% of drivers come from other countries beyond that. So a third of all drivers are uh, typically immigrants. Immigration has a big, big point here. You look at South Florida, we've had a lot, tens of thousands of people move from New York and from California to South Florida. Yet, if you look at the population in South Florida, it's actually down compared to pre-COVID. And a lot of that is due to immigration. So uh, just, just to make a point here that carriers are trying to add capacity. That is happening, but there are many factors at play that are restricting the amount of drivers available, including the drug and alcohol clearinghouse, including driver training schools not being at full capacity. It'll take some time. That's all. All right. Yeah. Tone? So real quick, my chart of the day, of course, got to look into Sonar and look at personal construction expenditures for durable goods. And of course, our van outbound tender volume index. And so looking at it, of course, there has been an increase in durable goods for consumer spending throughout 2020 going into 2021. And we see how much that's contributed to overall freight volumes going throughout the year. The other big thing that we're looking at in the most recent durable goods report was that there was a slight tick down for durable goods. Nothing too substantial, but notable overall. The other big thing looking at overall consumer spending, it was flat, 0% movement. This is kind of big news because there was not any kind of stimulus kind of influx or into the economy at mm -hmm. that moment. So we're looking at that, that's still showing that there's momentum despite the lack of any type of new stimulus packages being pushed out. Again, that flat movement isn't nothing to kind of sneeze at because when we look at the previous month, I got an upward revision right. to 0.9% from that 0.5%. So it's still showing that consumers are still active and that's gonna hit more freight volumes as we continue to see durable goods feed into it. Of course, services playing a role as well, but we are seeing that consumers are spending 
And of course, there is substantial savings still in their pockets. Yeah, that's right. Good spending, uh, flat month over month, still up 20% compared to February 2020. Uh, Services spending is about flat. Uh, I think it's at down 1%. So really strong good demand still, even though it's uh, flatlining here right now. All right. Perfect. All right. We now have our CEO and founder, Craig Fuller, on to discuss the Night Swift acquisition of AAA Cooper. Craig, this is your first time on Great Quarter Guys somehow. Uh, so welcome to the show. I think I've been on most of the shows, but this is the first time I've been on Great Quarter Guys. You know, we need the spinning chairs. You know how setting it live, they sort of zoom you in. That, that would be pretty that cool. That would be pretty dope. Yeah. All right. Uh, you like this acquisition. I, I love this acquisition. So uh, the company is AAA Cooper, the uh, Night Swift, which is the largest uh, truckload carrier in the market, has purchased AAA Cooper, a regional LTL carrier that serves the South and Midwest. And I think it's a significant transaction because it moves Night Swift into the LTL business, a business that they have not uh, been a part of in the past. And so it's a it's a it's an unusual transaction only from the perspective that truckload carriers have historically not purchased LTL businesses. Uh, this is a big diversion from that model. And you don't believe others will follow? I don't. I think Night Swift is uniquely positioned because of the strength of their balance sheet, their large scale. They've proven with Swift, acquiring Swift a couple of years back, they can integrate two very different operating businesses and do it successfully. Uh, with the purchase of AAA Cooper, LTL is obviously very different than truckload. Putting those together on surface seems like an odd uh, transaction because we haven't seen uh, large truckload carriers do it, uh, but I actually applaud it. Now, Transforce did something similar when they bought UPS Freight a couple of uh, months ago, but I think the way I think of Transforce is very different than the way I think of Night Swift. Night Swift is an operator first, uh, Transforce more operates like a private equity fund, or even some could argue an ETF of transportation, uh, of freight, trucking, transportation assets, uh, whereas Night Swift is, is an operator. And so they certainly will take an operating position in this business, uh, being a wholly owned subsidiary. And uh, there will be a lot of synergies for customers. I mean, you think about the scale of Night Swift. It's now, a, I think, an $8, $9 billion company when we look at the, the full sort of strength of it. Uh, it's a big business. Yeah, this is not a small acquisition, right? We've got 70 facilities, more than 3,400 doors, 4,800 employees, 3,000 uh, tractors, 7,000 trailers. I wanted to talk to you about the criteria the Night Swift said in its search, right? So they said they wanted significant market share, profitability makeup, and a management team that could operate independently, right? That's going to be, that's kind of following their model. You expect them, how much do you expect them to integrate here? Um, they, they expect it to operate Kind of independently, they want the board to, you know, the, I can't remember the CEO's name from Triple Cooper, but he's now on the board of Knight Swift. What are your expectations of the dynamic between these two brands? Well, I mean, LTL is a very different business than, than truckload. Uh, truckload is, you know, for hire services or dedicated services, which are, are, are buying full truck. LTL is obviously, I'm buying a position, a pallet, or buying a weight-based Movement, so it's a different business. Terminal uh, operations are quite different than truckload, over-the-road truckload. Now, Knight... Their model is truckload, but uh, tends to be around these sort of super regions where the trucks do come back on a regular basis uh, versus Swift, which runs the over the road and for hire market. Uh, but LTO is still a very different animal than, uh, than what truckload is. It does open up the opportunity for Night Swift to serve uh, a different set of customers. Typically, customers that are buying truckload are larger scale, uh, whereas the LTL business tends to be 
uh, tends to have more uh, mid and small size uh, shippers that, are, that take advantage of, of doing it on a per weight basis. So it'll be a different model. Now, I think they'll run them predominantly separate. There'll be some executive management oversight. And I could see Knight Swift running some of the line haul operations between terminals. Uh, there's probably some advantages in procurement of buying trucks and maintaining those trucks as well as tires and uh, fuel. But beyond that, I think it's going to have to be an entirely different operations team. One thing I would point out is the CEO uh, now has a billion dollars in cash and equity uh, in the bank. How long do you think? He says he's going to stay on, but you got a billion dollars in cash. Your salary is, two, say, two or three million a year. How long do you really stay in a role of running a trucking company? No offense against truck trucking operations. It's a tough business. Just seems like a billion dollars of cash that uh, the question would be, how long does he stick with it? Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly a good question. I wanted to ask one last thing before I let you go. Um, it seems that Knight Swift got a, at least a decent deal compared to some of the private, uh, some of the public market valuations of the best LTL carriers they, you know, you're looking at. Uh, you look at Old Dominion and some of the best are trading 15, 16, 17 times. They paid less than 10 times EBITDA for this company. Is this, is this, you think that's based on uh, the fact that they're running a little bit higher OR than some of the, the best run carriers? What are your thoughts there? Well, I think you have a public private delta in terms of public companies uh, uh, have a higher multiple. Uh, you mentioned Old Dominion, but we can name the big public companies. Uh, they all are significantly larger than what AAA Cooper uh, is. Uh, so that's one reason you see a, a, a delta or an advantage of being public. Uh, it's easier to get financing in public markets, which gives you a premium versus private markets. You do typically see a couple turns above it when you have a, a except maybe in venture, the world we live in where, where private companies may be valued higher than public or historically. But in these sort of large established industries like trucking, you will see a pretty big delta between valuations. The other thing to keep in mind is that AAA Cooper was a regional carrier, uh, whereas even Old Dominion, which has historically been uh, sort of a super regional carrier, has a much larger footprint and, frankly, uh, turns and multiples in revenue uh, versus AAA Cooper. I mean, AAA Cooper is a really nice business. Uh, but it's not a, uh, for most people, a sort of tier one household brand uh, versus some of the other big LTL players like an XPO or UPS Freight or even Arkansas Best or, or uh, uh, Yellow Roadway. So it is not a tier one uh, uh, type transaction, but it is a significant player. Uh, I think the more interesting story is what does Night Swift do with this business that they have it? I would suspect they're going to grow it uh, uh, quickly. Uh, and because of the tightness of the LTL operations, they should have the opportunity to do that. One of the things to, to really watch is, as you mentioned, the cultures and how they sort of integrate that business into their existing operations. Uh, but I, I would expect big things from it. One of the interesting sort of side stories in this, Andrew, is Jerry Moyes is the CEO and owner of Central Freight Lines, a Waco, Texas-based LTL operator who happens to be one of AAA Cooper's largest competitors. Jerry Moyes owns 5.4% of Knight Swift stock. Remember, he was the founder of Swift uh, and was involved in a number of, of uh, transactions at Swift, uh, uh, merged into Knight Swift, and now is one of the largest shareholders. What do you think that dynamic looks like? I, uh, 
Well, I don't know Jerry Moyes, but I can imagine. I mean, what do you, what do you think? He had to have had a say in this deal, right? At five point five percent. I don't believe he's on the board. No. Okay. And if you're not on the board, and even if you're on the board, but you have a minority uh, share, you really don't have a lot of say in uh, sort of corporate operations. I mean, the only thing he can do is vote with his shares, which would mean he would have to cash out. But I don't think he has much of a voice uh, as it relates to these big strategic moves. I wanted to ask you one thing before uh, this is the last thing I'll, uh, before I let you go. So, uh, CEO Dave Jackson, Knights with CEO, he said, "I couldn't be happier to finally find the right time for both of us to create a partnership." Uh, what, what, what do you read through that? Do you think that this has been an ongoing thing, and they've just kind of waited for this to happen? What uh, What do you make of the timing of this happening now? Well, Kevin Knight, when they merged with Swift uh, a couple of years ago, had said that by 2020 uh, they were going to be a 10 billion dollar company. Um, I think the sort of volatility of the freight market between what happened in 15 and what happened in 18 or 19 uh, and then COVID probably delayed their ability to do these big acquisitions. Valuations have been weird for the last couple of years. Uh, I think now that we've seen stability in the market, Knight Swift stock has held up uh, really well. They, you know, they got downgraded significantly, at least in terms of share price uh, during that run from 17 to 19. Uh, now it's stabilized. Uh, there's a lot of confidence in the trucking market going forward. So it's probably put Knight Swift in a position to, to make these bold moves. But one of the things really interesting about this is they bought an LTL carrier. They could really buy almost any truckload carrier, uh, uh, really pick almost any truckload carrier for that matter. And yet they chose an LTL carrier. That I think is a signal for a lot of the LTL, uh, for the truckload operations is that maybe from a Knight Swift perspective, it isn't as desirable to buy a truckload operator at scale than it would be to move into an entirely new business. It's very interesting, I think. Yeah, I think it's fabulous. And I think um, just digging through the last year with e-commerce and the way that retailers have started to use their stores, shipping from stores, uh, fulfillment from store, it creates the necessity for smaller and more rapid uh, replenishment at stores that builds into LTL. I mean, uh, John Larkin's been calling this since 2018 that LTL is perfectly positioned to, you know, to gain from this e-commerce growth. I love the LTL business. LTL doesn't have the commoditized pressures that truckload does. Uh, it has more pricing power, as you mentioned. It it serves the e-commerce market well, quite well. I do think it's a it's a message for truckload operators that um, it's just hard to justify big acquisitions in that space. Uh, versus LTL. I think it's a really smart move by Knight Swift to get to that $10 billion mark without having to sort of buy into a market that they're already well positioned for. Yeah. But it, I think it says a lot about the truckload model. Uh, and we've seen transactions, you know, Dred Jacobs had, at XPO sold off their truckload business, CFI, uh, because they couldn't make the model work. And if you're a, an acquirer like Brad Jacobs and uh, Knight Swift and you're not making these big moves in the truckload market, I think it's more of a signal at how difficult that uh, market is versus these other alternative uh, markets like 3PL services or, or uh, LTL. You said earlier you're expecting them to expand this business quickly. I would Bolt think on. so. I mean, if I were, uh, and look, I am not Kevin Knight or David Jackson, and I don't want to pretend to be. They certainly know how to run a trucking company much better than I do. That's why I'm those that uh, can't do teach or show up on TV. Uh, so I won't pretend to be them. But if I were in their shoes, uh, the thing that I would do is you have access to a lot of capital, access to a lot of resources. You, and, and really, the customer base, I imagine, is quite different. Um, you know, Knight Swift has a lot of large-scale companies and customers that 
uh, probably not a ton of overlap. Um, and so they had the opportunity to, to take their uh, network of clients and expand uh, offering LTL services or door-to-door -door services with the brand. And then also, let's not forget the 3PL component. Knight Swift is a big intermodal operator. Knight Swift is a big uh, freight brokerage, has a significant scale 3PL business. So I could see that being a really nice complimentary uh, part of AAA Cooper's business going forward. Is there anything that you, you know, this is obviously an opinionated question, but is there anything you could see that would stop them from being able to replicate their success with previous acquisitions and bringing down OR, integrating the business? You know, <clears throat> or you know, this is a good team. They've done it time and time again. It's a good team, again. but anytime you have an acquisition, you have risks. You have personality risk, you have cultural risk, you have operational risks. Um, but they have a track record of doing it. And I think a lot of people doubted them when Knight and Swift merged. There was a lot of doubt on whether that could that would be a success. Uh, I think the jury has proven that uh, the Knight Swift team knows how to execute this uh, really quite well. Um, and, you know, I would suspect that they're going to bring a lot of sort of operational excellence. I, I would think we'll see some improvements in line haul services for AAA Cooper just because truckload operators tend to have a little bit better, sort of op more optimal the way they think about it, this line haul equipment. Um, but I don't think we'll see significant, quote unquote, operational improvements where I would expect it would be in terms of growth related to customer acquisition and their networks. That's where I would think you would see the biggest sort of, and then so if you're Knight Swift and you're David Jackson, you're making significant investments in your customer acquisition uh, services and trying to expand your cust your relative customer base versus trying to create operational efficiencies. Uh, from what I can tell, what limited information we have about AAA Cooper, they look like a high quality operator running a nice op uh, OR. So it doesn't suggest that there'll be significant operating improvements is sort of the thesis of the business. As you mentioned, there's a lower multiple paid for AAA Cooper, but more importantly, I think the expansive customer base is where the value is. All right, Craig, thanks so much well, for joining us. Thanks for inviting me today. It's uh, fun to be on Great Quarter Guys. Uh, it's one of my favorite shows, uh, but we hope to see you again, Andrew. Yeah, definitely so, we'll have you back. All right. All right, team, so we only got uh, a couple minutes here, so we're gonna bring Anthony back on to talk through. We've got one you care or not today. Uh, it is an economic one. We got some data from the University of Michigan. We got their consumer sentiment index for the month of June. So they always do a preliminary reading and then they do a final reading. So we got that final reading and it came in uh, at 85.5. So that is a fall from the initial reading of 86.4, but it is higher than May's 82.9 figure. Anthony, this is only uh, one month of, of growth, but what are you thinking? Do you care or not? Um, no. Nah. It's not too much of a substantial decline, and it's still moving. I mean, overall, still in a good place. Also, real quick, we got a compliment from Craig on being one of your favorite shows. You've never <laughs> yeah, said right. about Freightonomics, but I'm not going to hold it against you. But anyway, yeah. looking at that consumer confidence number, um, I don't care too much about this, this slight downward movement. Um, there are too many things building up in the right direction. We're looking at overall employment. Speaking of which, we get job opening uh, numbers tomorrow. We also see new pandemic lows on initial jobless claims. So there are too many things moving in the right direction for a slight blip down and that number to All really right. be too meaningful. Let me let me stop you because I gotta ask, it seems okay, so we look at the consumer sentiment index, right. we look at consumer spending for the month of May and June. Right. 
it, it, it seems that economists are feeling that most of the growth we're seeing right now is from higher income earners. Yeah. Uh, so if you look at the University of Michigan came out and said all of the June gain was among households with incomes above 100000 And if you look at the consumer spending data uh, in household incomes above $200,000, they are really pulling the economy up, which is which actually a trend reversal from during COVID, right? During right. COVID, that, that additional stimulus we had, it was actually the lower income earners that were kind of lifting the economy and spending more relatively than the higher income earners. Is that, is that something we should be worried about? The fact that lower income earners are not spending, they're not as optimistic as the future as high income earners. I think it should be something to be concerned about if we don't see. So the things I've been hearing on middle to lower in, income earners have been, well, of course, they're not going back to work because why would they want to go back for these wages, all these other things. And so I think what we're going to see potentially, or what we should see, is slight skills, differentiations, more development, things like that, because those are going to be the things that set a lot of people apart as in addition to getting back into the workplace earlier than others. So I think that is going to be an area of concern. But the bigger thing is going to be how do these lower income individuals differentiate themselves on a skill set basis in order to kind of position themselves to be a little bit more higher valued in the marketplace right now. But that is a concerning trend especially when you're looking at wage gaps and things like that. But Mm -hmm. I definitely do think now would be the time, if any, to really parlay any new skill sets. Yeah, that is a, that's a good tip from our lead economist, Mr. Anthony Smith. <laughs> uh, that is, is unfortunately, we've got all the time today. Uh, we, we packed it in with, with two big interviews with Ms. Mr. Helfenbein and, of course, uh, Craig Fuller. So that's all we've got for today, episode 77. We'll be back with another big show next week at 2 o'clock. We'll see you then. Peace. <laughs>